0: The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Consulting for film and television and taking precautions against identity theft. Welcome to ACB Reports for March 2022. While awaiting the arrival of material from this year's ACB Leadership Conference, we reach into the ACB Report's archives for two interesting pieces. First, Lynn Manning talked about his experiences working as a consultant on blindness-related issues in film and television. This piece from 2005 was introduced by former ACB Report's host, Laura Oftedal.
1: This past fall, a television series called Blind Justice, starring a blind detective, was on the air for just 13 weeks. It was not renewed. You might wonder how Hollywood deals with blindness on television shows. They hire a blind advisor, and for Blind Justice, it was Lynn Manning. Lynn also gets called for many other shows and movies in Hollywood, and he tells of his short-lived experience with the movie Ray.
2: You have the opportunity to get interviewed for these things. And I had, uh, when when Jamie Foxx was researching the role of Ray, he went over to the Braille Institute, where I volunteer as a um, judo instructor, and he had uh, inquired about uh, some people they thought might be able to give him some insight, someone he might be able to hire on in the role of uh, technical advisor. So um, I got... um, had the opportunity to go out to his home and interview with him about the part. Now, I understood from, from the conversation we had as what he needed for his role in Ray was something I couldn't supply since our experiences are so far removed and I lost my sight um, suddenly and completely at the age of 23 quite some time later in quite a different way and different manner than Ray had, and my experiences were somewhat different. So I missed that job. I told the truth and said, I can't do that. I can't give you what you need for that one. So that's one job I didn't get. But the job I did get with blind justice, uh, April, a year ago, April, I got a phone call from a person over at uh, the media access office in Los Angeles, which is um, an employment agency sponsored by uh, by the state of California that's dedicated to uh, promoting the casting of persons with disability in the media, in television, film, stage, and uh, in front of and in back of the camera. So I got a call from someone there saying that um, Botchko, Steven Botchko company wanted to get in contact with me about a project they had. So when I got the call, Steven Botchko's assistant called and asked um, you know, if I'd be interested in interviewing for this job. And uh, she wanted to know a few things about me, because they hadn't given her very many facts. But the project was about a cop who was shot in the line of duty and blinded. And he um, had, uh, in the course of a year, Rushed to get back on the job and to get himself reinstated as a detective on, it, on uh, the New York Police Force. So, I told her that at the age of 23, I was shot, uh, it wasn't in the line of duty. It was in a bar in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was 23. It might have been in the line of duty. Uh, <laughs> And in my personal experience, I had rushed to get back into the world and uh, redefine, uh, rehab myself and, and get back out there and recreate a life for myself. So I said, yeah, that, I, I'd be more than interested in that. And so they brought me in. We had an interview, an interview with uh, Stephen Bosco and um, John Badham, the, the lead director, the two head writers and um, a couple of the producers from the NYPD Blue Show. So these folks uh, sat around in an arc in front of me, and I sat in a swiveling chair, and they shot questions at me about my experience and about how I felt about uh, or would feel about this particular character, things that I might be able to give them some insights on. And the first thing I said to them was, of course, my first thought about this lead blind character in his thirties to forties was uh... i could play that role but, uh, but you know it's always about considerations of the bottom line seems like these days so uh... the part was already cast anyway so i figure okay if once i get my foot in the door i might be able to get my face in front of the camera uh, But I, um, in this question and answer period, one of the things uh, that I put to them straight away was that if they intend to do a show where the central character is blind, then they had best better make sure that that show is accessible. So. And it disturbs me that they Hadn't thought about that, but they pursued it immediately. They jumped on it. They went out in search of a company to do the audio description. I had uh, suggested to them uh, WeCTV because I'd had interaction with, with uh, we TV and Rick Box and the people who ultimately ended up doing the audio description for the show. That is just an example of how involving us, you know, blind, visually impaired, or otherwise disabled people in projects that are about us. How we can enhance the experience for everyone concerned and make for um, more reliable uh, representation of who we are. As, as a second point that I put forward to them, and this one certainly reared its head, was that my experience as a blind man is in every blind man's experience. And one blind man's life is in every blind man's life. And one blind person's attitude is in every blind person's attitude. That we are as diverse a population as mankind itself. So in reference to Ray again, you wouldn't believe how many people have asked me if I can tell how good they look by feeling on their wrist.
0: Lynn Manning was recorded at the ACB Conference and Convention in Las Vegas in 2005 and aired on ACB Reports in November of that year. The Alternative Media Center at the Internal Revenue Service provides a variety of services to assist visually impaired taxpayers. You will find links to accessible forms and publications, instructions on how to obtain accessible copies of notices or letters, and information about upcoming enhancements to IRS accessibility services. Visit irs.gov/forms Dash PUBS slash, information dash, about dash the dash, alternative dash media dash, center. You can also learn more at irs.gov slash, forms dash, PUBS slash, accessible dash, IRS dash tax dash, products visually impaired taxpayers who need assistance with a print notice or letter, or need other information about the services available through the Accessible Media Center, may call the IRS at 800-829-1040. That's 800-829-1040. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Although this next piece was recorded in 2009, the information about identity theft, which was shared by the presenters, is still very relevant and certainly very important. It was introduced by then-ACB Secretary Marlena Lieberg. This is a topic that is very timely unfortunate and yet it's something we all need to know about and I think certainly especially those of us who are blind need to have a good understanding of protecting yourself against identity theft it's real it's here and we need to know how to protect ourselves Teresa Roanbaum is the identity theft victim advocate in the office of the Attorney General here in Orlando Florida and Holly Sammons is the Director of Marketing and Relations for the uh, Better Business Bureau of Central Florida, located here in Orlando. And they're going to talk with us about protecting ourselves against identity theft. Ladies. Yeah.
1: I am a victim advocate of identity theft with the Florida Attorney General's Office. Many individuals believe that identity theft is strictly credit card fraud or banking account information. And I will tell you from one-on-one calls and conversations with individuals, it doesn't matter if it's a child, an adult, you could have good credit, you could have no credit at all, and you could still be impacted and a victim of this crime. And identity theft, a lot of times victims are unaware that they are even a victim until it actually occurs or when they pull their credit reports. How many of you have ever been a victim of identity theft? little less than a half of the room and those of you that are out there, if you have not contacted your local law enforcement agency or someone in your state government or community, you should do so if you have yet to resolve your issues. A lot of times identity theft is considered civil and that is incorrect. Identity theft is a crime and it is a criminal offense. Be it your family member, a friend, someone that may help take care of your home or your dogs or your yard, may get into your mail, that is still a criminal offense no matter if you know the individual or not. You did not give them the authorization to use your personal identifiers and law enforcement needs to be contacted. Different types of identity theft that I want to run through really quick today, and, and the list goes on and on, but typically, like I said, individuals think it's only a banking or an out-of-pocket loss, and that is not true. You need to realize how important it is to obtain some sort of privacy to your personal information, especially your social security numbers. These numbers nowadays are actually being sold off by the millions. One social is never really truly verified with your date of birth or who you are. So a social for a five-year-old could be used to obtain credit. Your social could be sold off to illegal immigrants or for terrorist activity. And that is what we're seeing as the extreme cases of identity theft. Yes, I have a lot of driver's license fraud uh, where people are actually being arrested just driving on vacation. They get pulled over and then they find out there's a warrant for their arrest in another state because someone used their information for driver's license issues. But we can go as extreme as medical identity theft along with social security fraud. Medical identity theft, just a brief definition of that, could go from someone using your social and identifiers to obtain health insurance in your name to actually checking themselves into hospitals, you obtaining the medical bills and responsibilities. But unfortunately, the extreme harm to that is that your medical records are forever altered because there are so many HIPAA laws and so many things that you have to go through in regards to clearing up actually your own medical record because someone used your social security number in regards to any type of medical bills, prescriptions, emergency room visits, you name it. I've had all kinds of cases that have come through my office. In regards to what you should do if you are a victim of identity theft, and many of you raised your hands, hopefully you've taken the steps to clear your credit. One being placing fraud alerts on your credit reports. There are different types of fraud alerts. For those of you that are not familiar, there is the typical 90-day fraud alert that we ask everyone to do if you suspect that you're a victim. Maybe you've lost your wallet. God forbid here at the convention this week, maybe you left your wallet somewhere and you thought, you know what, just to be on the safe side, let me call and cancel my credit cards, contact the credit bureaus. That would be a temporary 90 day fraud alert. Unfortunately, the thieves are very smart these days and they will actually sit on your information and wait 90 days because they know that you've probably placed a temporary fraud alert. So I suggest you do that, but you also mark on your calendar when the 90 days is up and possibly doing a seven-year fraud alert. If you know for a fact that you're a victim of identity theft, I would suggest a more extreme lock on your personal information, which is called a security freeze. That is a big difference from a fraud alert. A security freeze will actually even lock you out. So for those of you that are shopaholics, that might be a good idea, right? Lock yourself out. You know, you think twice about, do I really want that 15% off if I open up that credit card today? You won't be able to do that any longer. But individuals that actually have your social security number, the security freeze will lock them out because you're provided a PIN number when you request that through the credit bureaus. Each state has a different law established to the security freeze. In Florida, if you're over the age of 65 or you're a victim of identity theft with a documented police report of identity theft, the $10 fee is waived. $10 fee being with Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Those three dollars that can add up. To temporarily lift it, if you do want to open up a credit card or maybe refinance your house, you would have to then temporarily lift it and contact those credit bureaus with another $30 so it's very important you go through the correct steps and find out what your state law is pertaining to your freeze you also want to close out your accounts anything that's been compromised or that you may see in your credit files also credit files sometimes lead us to the suspects if you have a credit report that has a different address in another state that's clue number one that that may be a potential lead to a suspect if there's a different name on your credit report that's maybe not a middle initial that went from an M to an N, which can be a typing error with the credit bureau, that could be a lead to a suspect. So don't close out the accounts, look at your files and think, oh, I'm done. Look at all sections of your credit files to make certain that no one has compromised your identity and at actually paying the bills. Many thieves want your credit. So they will actually continue to pay bills. So you are never aware until the debt collectors contact you maybe years down the road. You also want to file a police report in your jurisdiction where you live. If you get hassled with local law enforcement, which a lot of my victims do because it's kind of looked upon as a civil matter. Look into your state law regarding identity theft and find out what your rights are as a victim of identity theft. In Florida, we allow people to request a police report where they live or any location of where the crime occurred. You don't have to go to all states maybe where your credit card was used. You go right to your local jurisdiction or in any area where the crime took place. It's very important to have documented law enforcement report. You also would need to contact the Federal Trade Commission. The FTC has wonderful website information for those of you that are Internet savvy. They have a victim kit. I don't want you all to feel paranoid, but I would say identity theft is on the rise. It's an epidemic. There is no way for us to actually prevent it from happening, but you can take precautionary measures, especially when you're away from home. Keep your purses and wallets very close to you. My main suggestion to most people is it can harm any of us. I say carry cash and use cash the way we used to back in the old days. Credit cards can be skimmed, banking cards can be skimmed, writing checks to individuals can be harmful because your checking account number and your routing number is basically handed over to whoever you're mailing a bill to. Next, Holly Salmons is going to talk to you about prevention. We are gonna talk briefly
3: about tools and ways to prevent identity theft. Educating yourself and preventing identity theft is really the best that any of us can do, to be aware and to be vigilant. Um, I myself, a few months ago, was a victim of identity theft in the form of my debit card was skimmed. It was skimmed at a restaurant, which is what I tracked it back to. And within 30 minutes, you know, I was barely in my car and buckled in before someone had used my credit card number to buy $700 worth of gift cards at a Walmart 200 miles away from here. So had I not been monitoring my accounts online, I would have not caught it quickly. I had to file a police report. I had to contact my bank and eventually I was refunded but this is what we do for a living and we can fall victim. So first of all, I'd like to say, when you receive statements in the mail, credit card applications, you know, junk mail that's asking for you to apply for something, apply for anything. If that's not something that you're interested in, keep it in a safe place, keep it in a bag, keep it in a basket and shred that stuff regularly. There is no reason to throw that opportunity in the trash for someone to pick through and to take advantage of the opportunity in your name. Securing your personal documents at home. If you have a dog sitter or if you have someone coming in to clean your home or um, perhaps childcare, anyone who comes into your home that is not a part of, let's say, your immediate family or your spouse or your children, It is always a good idea to secure your personal documents. Personal ID cards, passports, uh, birth certificates, things like that. Keep it in a lockbox. Keep it in a fire and waterproof, keyed safe, and keep it in your home. You can never be too careful with those sort of documents. Your social security card. I would ask for a show of hands. Who has their social security card in your wallet? But most of you aren't going to be truthful. Okay, I see some hands going up. So some people are saying very honestly that they have their social security card on them. What I'm telling you today is it is a security blanket that is held over from 30, 40, 50 years ago that we should always keep our social security card on our person. It is absolutely not necessary. If you know that you are heading for Something that may require your social, whether you're buying a home, whether you're going to a new doctor's office, something of that sort, something major. Not going to the grocery store not going to the mall or, you know, living your everyday life. Keep that card at home in your safe place. If your Medicaid, Medicare card, your insurance card, your uh, military ID, if it bears your social security number... In some cases, your state may tell you you don't have an option, but it does not hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to ask your insurance company or the agency issuing that card to give you an alternate ID number. Also, like I said, monitor your bank and your credit transactions. Keep an eye on what is appearing on your statements. Did you make those charges? It may be somewhere that you frequent but did you make that particular charge one thing may appear out of place and you you brush it off and think well i probably did that and someone could literally nickel and dime you into a large sum of money it may not be seven hundred dollars like i had but it could end up being quite a lot of money if you receive an email that contains correspondence from your bank paypal credit card etc asking that you verify your information here's a fill line give us your account number and your pin number so that we can verify your account warning warning will Robbins that is never going to happen your bank PayPal your credit card company they are never going to contact you in that manner so do not complete that form do not give that information online If you're using um, a computer in a public area, whether it be a library or a kiosk perhaps, um, at a civic center, or even a family or friends computer, be very careful about what information you're accessing. Any username and passwords that you enter on a computer that's not your own, you cannot be sure that that hasn't been saved into that system. So be very careful when and where you access information online keep an eye on your mailbox visit your mailbox regularly and if you can't because you're on vacation have a friend or a trusted neighbor do that do not let your mail pile up in your mailbox the easiest way to access someone's identity would be to walk up to the mailbox open it up take it out I can get credit card statements bank statements you name it it may all be there So consider that like leaving your purse or your wallet wide open for a stranger. Keep that mailbox empty.
0: That identity theft presentation came from the 48th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in Orlando, Florida, and originally aired on ACB Reports in September 2009. Next month, it's back to the present with information from this year's ACB Leadership Conference. You've been listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. ACB Reports is heard each month on audio information services across the United States and worldwide on the ACB Media Network, acbmedia.org. The show is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another edition of ACB
2: Reports.